Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. I'm Jason Bates, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Rod Drury, founder and CEO of Zero. Hey, Rod. Hey, Jason. Great to be here. Great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Um, it's always great to talk to someone who we've had personally so much first-hand use of, of your product. We're zero customers ourselves, so it's amazing to actually speak to the CEO and founder. So thanks for coming. Yeah, well, I'm so impressed with, with um, all the work that you guys have done as well. Like You're taking a real leadership position in this industry, and it's amazing being on the other side of the world like I normally hear you in, in my ears when I'm riding my mountain bike up the hill so to be, in, be on the other side of the world talking to you is very cool for me too. Well let's kick off I know you've got a, a super busy day or few days around ZeroCon amazing conference that you've, you're doing in London at the moment and I'm sure we'll get to that in a few minutes but maybe I can start off with a bit about you and your background um, you've been founder of lots of successful companies over the years can you tell us a bit about your journey? Yeah, so I, I really got into computer programming at school, and I think coming from a small set of rocks on the South Pacific, being able to build something with your brain and it would sell while you're sleeping always really appealed to me. My first job was at um, Arthur Young before the merger with uh, Ernst & Young, which is now EY, so I uh, did um, auditing for my first year, then talked my way into the IT consulting group. So kind of had a programming background, with a lot of financial systems implementation. So it's kind of funny, um, you know, 25 plus years on, now that kind of programming and accounting has, has really come together. So yeah, programming and um, really came up on the Microsoft side of the fence. So I uh, was on the early beta of Visual Basic and Microsoft Access and SQL Server, then ASP and on and on and on. So we got really good at writing complex business apps on the web. And I think, again, coming from a small set of rocks in the South Pacific, the ability to write complex business applications and uh, not have to send out software has always been really magical and uh, managed to you know, build businesses that have allowed me to do that. I started off in the kind of big consulting thing as well. It seems like a great place to learn a trade and kind of you know, deliver. But what led you to, to leave that? Because that, that's often a career path that, you know, that can lead you on for decades. What made you leave that, that company to, to start something else? So, so I'd always read other Silicon Valley books. So, you know, in the early days of IBM, Microsoft and had really followed that. And when we started at Ernst and Young, we, we built a software development team and it was kind of weird doing software inside a consulting firm. And, but there weren't really any software companies, so we ended up um, peeling out and building our own first Microsoft development shop. So we had the sort of first and became the biggest Microsoft development shop in uh, New Zealand. That led to a really strong relationship with Microsoft. I was in their regional director program, so they'd fly us up to Redmond probably two or three times every two years and uh, really got an insider's view of what was happening. And then, um, yeah, we peeled out, started our own software development company, and that was in the mid-90s, and in the uh, late-90s, the dot-com boom was happening, and we ended up being um, acquired, which gave me some money to roll in and to my first sort of real business, and then on and on from there. And so was Zero the first thing that you tried, or was it a, were there a number of things before this? No, I did. Um, well, first of all, we did a services business, so we were doing a bespoke software development uh, mainly in Microsoft Access and in SQL Server, and uh, that got up to about 60 people, and we sold that in in 99. Uh, then did a bunch of um, kind of interesting startups, uh, did a document management startup, uh, had an idea around uh, directories, uh, which is really relevant to the stuff we're doing now. Uh, and then um, I started a business called Aftermail. It always bugged me there wasn't a relational database under Microsoft Exchange, so we built that. 
and uh, sold that to Quest Software within a couple of years of starting it up. And that gave me the capital to really do the initial funding of Zero. Then I was on the board of Trade Me, which was New Zealand's version of eBay, which we uh, sold for half a billion US dollars uh, about 11 years ago. And that put quite a lot of capital in our in our network in uh, New Zealand, which helped us get Zero off the ground as well. So, what's the origin story of Zero? You know, what's the the moment when lightning struck and you're like, yes, this is it. Well, I think um, you know, being in a doing financial systems implementation at EY, you always think I could do this better, especially being a programmer as well. So about three years before I properly started Zero, I was actually doing some work up in Boston. We had a company there called Context Connect, and uh, it was just starting to slow down. So Active Server Pages two came out from Microsoft. So I always wanted to build a relational accounting engine. So I uh, played with that for uh, two weeks and it felt really good. I knew that was my next business, but I also knew it wasn't a quick build and sell to somebody. And at that point, I really wanted to make some money. So I did Aftermail, the email archiving product. And um, as I was doing that, I was sort of thinking about how hard and how kind of homemade desktop accounting software felt. So um, as we were doing Aftermail, I knew that Zero would be the next one. And the real hypothesis there was we saw the consumer internet taking off. So um, this is sort of, you know, very, might have even been just before Facebook, but YouTube and MySpace. So the consumer internet was really taking off and consumers were having better technology experiences than large enterprises were. Uh, so that was happening. But we knew that in the consumer space, people don't like spending money. So the next biggest market must be all small businesses. And they do spend money, even though they're consumers with their small business hat on, they do spend. So we thought the small business internet was probably the biggest monetizable opportunity on the web. And then most technology uh, was being deployed in the enterprise space. And small business was an interesting hybrid because it was all the complexity of writing like SAP, but trying to make it very easy and building a consumer style sales model. And I guess when, when we saw the cloud, it fundamentally changed the distribution cost of getting software to small business. So you didn't have to you know, put CDs into computers on desktops. Um, and we realized that accounting would be the key systems of record. You know, all small businesses have banks, the smart ones have business advisors, so there's a natural accounting channel, and they all have a relationship with the tax man. So you can choose to um, use accounting software or not, but you must do accounting. And so we realized for small business, accounting really was that killer app. But we also realized it was a massive investment because you had to build, you know, millions and millions of lines of code. So it felt like there were high barriers to entry, a nice big moat. And um, we thought a well-funded new entrant with no uh, legacy desktop would have an opportunity of being a global player. And thank goodness that worked out or we would have had to move to Mexico. <laughs> so I, I'm a bit of a product geek. I love how end user needs are then sort of translated into, into some kind of product, but how you can iterate and actually develop from there. How MVP was this thing when you first started? How long did that first build take? Yeah, so because um, we had some capital, so after I sold Aftermail, I went straight into um, what became Zero, and um, we had some great designers on board. So when we started, we did some real R and D. You know, we knew it had to be a global engine from day one because we could see everything globalizing. Had to be a proper double entry accounting system, use the power of a relational database. We wanted to deal with the problem of cash versus accrual accounting. So we did a lot of R and D, and we looked at you know from. Uh, that architecture and what tech stack, would it be .NET, would it be Rails, which was very uh, common back then. So we actually built a little prototype on Rails, threw it away, went back to .NET because we wanted that the power of a proper SQL 
database. And then we started really trying to look for some killer experiences and we brought a fantastic designer onto the team and we followed small businesses around because um, what we noticed, the sort of three main desktop vendors are all kind of doing the same thing. So one of our first kind of design-led stories was we noticed that a small business owner would um, you know, open up the factory first thing in the morning, they'd go and turn on their Windows XP computer at the time that would take you know, five minutes to boot up, so they'd go and turn the jug on, make a cup of tea, read the sports scores, and the first business thing they'd do would go to their online banking to see who paid them overnight, but they didn't process the data. So the horror of small business was just before, say, a VAT return was due, basically reprocessing all of your data. So small businesses was fun, but doing the books was a horrible experience. So the kind of epiphany there was two things. One, could we get digital bank feeds um, directly in? So rather than going to check online banking in the morning, you went to your accounting software and your transactions were already there. And the second thing was, how do you make it a, a, a fun experience? And we looked at kids' games and this concept of matching transactions. So we came up, our first killer feature was actually our bank reconciliation. And we went from bank rec being something you did kind of um, maybe every two months to something you did every morning as your primary data entry, your bank transactions would arrive, you'd enter your new cash transactions and match off invoices or bills that had been paid, and then it, it was like a game of Tetris. And at the end of it, click, you're all done. And a small business has never been done on anything before, and we were giving them this um, fun validation first thing in the morning. And it was so interesting because people wended from saying, you know, I'd rather have root canal surgery than do my bank rec, to accounting as fun and sexy. So it really showed us the power of great design. Wow. So were there any other moments of epiphany or learnings that you'd pull out you know, in the, in the subsequent years? Yeah, uh, um, one of the early ones as well was this uh, difference between cash and accrual-based accounting. You used to have to, have to uh, decide. And of course, most small business owners have no idea at all. And one of our guys came back from going out for lunch and had just been sitting on the bus and thought, if we could you know, get the database and model both legs of the transaction, then we could just put the data in and we could report on both cash and accrual. And that was a massive accounting problem that we've solved. And then through all the way through from putting currency right into the core of the engine so we can do real-time mark-to-market through to what we're doing now with machine learning and AI, we've been able to really push the art of accounting all the way through. So what we're now working on, now we're getting, last year we processed $1.5 trillion worth of transactions. So all that data sitting on, on PC is not that interesting. You pull it into our centrally managed store. It's incredibly interesting. So we're able to apply machine learning and AI to massive data sets Yet the accounting transaction is quite a tight taxonomy. So we're getting super high hit rates, you know, 85 plus percent. So now we're moving towards what we call code-free accounting, where if we can get the source document digitized or preserve its digitization, we can then uh, automatically code those transactions. So that's huge because desktop software only ever got to maybe 5 to 10% market penetration because it's still so hard. So if we can remove the accounting out of accounting, that feels like you can open it up to the mass market. And I definitely recognise that. I think, you know, I've started a few businesses through my career and that and you want to run the business rather than be an accountant. And even recognising the terminology, you know, getting into uh, balance sheets or P&Ls or, you know, a chart of accounts, especially with some of your competitors from a while ago, seems like a crazy thing to set up the chart of accounts right from the start. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of, and there's so much um, neat stuff we can do now. So, 
you know, for us, you know, the world's changed, right? And you see this with what's happening with Brexit at the moment, what's happening in the US political situation. And we know that large businesses aren't going to be where the jobs are created. So we were thinking as a team, you know, how do we make better schools and hospitals? How do we really make the world better? And it's, it's by creating jobs and creating jobs in the small business sector. So when everyone was running their own sort of PC software, there wasn't this network of small businesses. Now they're on these platforms and we're over a million customers now and our million customers interact with 20 million other businesses. You can communicate with small business at scale. So we're turning our accounting accountants channel into really business coaches that are working with small businesses all over the world and getting them to add that one new job, which is about getting access to capital, debt, other financial services so they can grow, and also showing them how to export, how do you onboard, how to get them onboarded onto global marketplaces. So um, we're super excited. We think creating employment for small business at scale is probably one of the most noble things you can do, and it's a huge amount of fun. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank. And the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.temenos.com. So, so I want to almost pick up one of those points around accountants because it, it strikes me as quite interesting. On one hand, you've got those end customers, the small businesses themselves, and then you've got the accountants that have always traditionally serviced those guys and charged however much they charge. Are you seen as something that disrupts that? Are you good for accountants? Are you good for the small business? Are you good for both of them? Yeah, so we know we're good for accountants because we've been able to track all, all of the data. So now we know over, you know, I think we've got... Um, you know, 20 or 30,000 accounting firms using zero and over 100,000 accounting professionals. So we can say they make more money and they have more time. We've tracked all of that data, lots of surveys, and we can see it inside. So they absolutely do better. But we're taking them through a transition where the old technology model used to really drive accountants to the end of the process to be scorekeepers. And once you have, you know, these, um, these digital bank feeds, which means there's a real time view of what's happening in the business up to date every day, then a lot of the compliance work goes away. So we free up time for accountants to be these growth coaches. So we've, um, spending a lot of effort on the um, transition of the industry. And that's a lot of playbooks and role playing and giving accountants new skills to be able to get out there and actually help businesses grow. So this takes away the the base jobs, the the sort of adding up, checking, reconciliation things that accountants used to do and moves them further up the value chain? Yes, absolutely. There'll be other people that just want to be more efficient so they'll handle more and more customers. So things like making tax digital for an accountant to be involved, we've got to really reduce the cost to the small business of compliance activities. 
and um, there'll be lots of, of, of accountants that just um, are much more efficient so they can handle these uh, smaller customers that have to get online over the next few years. But what's much more exciting is um, accountants you know, picking a group of customers and really working with them. So creating um, you know, vertical specialisation or regional specialisation, um, but you know, helping them connect to uh, overseas markets and giving them those sort of skills. And one of the things that's fascinating is we're seeing... Um, accountants um, start to get very close to the, the local bank managers. So uh, it's fascinating. Banks really haven't had a clear small business strategy. It might be a bit of brand and some products, maybe some you know more approval workflows. But what we're seeing is actually getting accountants at a local level and bankers at a local level working together and using their local networks to help customers grow is a very tangible small business strategy. So we've done a lot of work now around digitally connecting accountants and bankers. So if you're inside Zero, the Zero Accountant tool will show you all of your clients, which industry groups they're with and uh, which industry groups those clients are in and also which banks they have so they can see through their clients and see what existing banking relationships they have as well. So we kind of think that if it exists that an accountant can be seeing on a daily basis what the numbers of their business customers are, they can almost continuously certify those numbers. And uh, in some sectors, we're seeing it almost become mandatory now that the accountant is digitally connected, say, to the loan, where they're kind of acting as that kind of daily director or governor, really, of, of those loans on behalf of the banks, which is super interesting. So... David Breer, who's one of the co-founders of 11FS, says continually to banks that we work with that actually if he could make payments in zero, they'd probably never see him on the banking website. And I guess with PSD2 and the CMA uh, open banking APIs coming along, it won't be long before that's a reality and that actually small businesses could very much interact with you rather than almost ever visit their bank. Do you see that as a, as a potential future? Now, we made the decision to be a partner to banks because, and the reason we made that decision is our goal is to uh, help small businesses grow and they need access to capital and debt to make that happen. So we're fascinated in all of the challenges. That's interesting, but not many of them have scale and they certainly don't have scale in those lending and financial services product. You know, for like a large dairy farm, you know, they might have $2 million of debt. And if we can give good visibility of those numbers and when uh, things get a bit tight, we'll keep people on farm. So to us, uh, working with banks makes a whole lot of sense. I think there's a lot of innovation that's happening, which the banks are watching and can work with the small players, but really to help small businesses at scale, connecting banks digitally through software makes a whole lot of sense. What's fascinating, though, is that banks only have, by definition, because they largely provide similar services and most businesses, especially after GFC, best practices, they are multi-banked, that by definition, banks can only see a subset of the financial picture. Uh, They don't see a whole lot of history and they only see cash, not the balance sheet transactions as well. So accounting is interesting because it is really the all-seeing eye. It knows across all banks and for as much financial history as your tax returns have, it has that, has that picture. So we made the um, decision years ago that we would be a great banking partner. 
And so we work with banks on providing a beautiful customer experience from getting digital feeds in, doing the workflows that a small business owner does, making payments really, really easy. And that creates the opportunity for to start to really do interesting things with data. So we're seeing banks moving towards pre-approval services. So uh, a way that you work with small businesses at scale is you know start putting them into personas of the sort of services they need. And we can calculate all sorts of you know risk factors or the right kind of product for a small business in conjunction with the banks. And we're moving uh, very much now to this advisory model where we'll tell a small business what's the next service they need to grow. So um, it'll be very successful with that. So we work with all the major banks in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, Singapore now, and all over the world. Wow. I guess the other side of that is working with fintechs and working with other companies. And I've, I've always been impressed with the number of facilities and services that Zero will connect directly in with so many new players and banks coming along and looking at partnerships and, and their uh, platform strategy. Like, what advice do you give? How do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, so um, you know we are a true platform in that we've always provided clear APIs. So we have about six hundred you know certified apps, and you know these numbers are crazy. Like forty thousand developers now connecting to the Zero platform. So a lot of uh, small businesses doing bespoke integrations to the platform because they can you know build really nice workflow systems uh, using all sorts of scripting tools and things like that. What we found is um, you know these partnering things take a long time, and you've got to earn trust and. You know, the, as anyone in the banking scene will know, the best way to sell to one bank is to sell to the one down the road. But um, I think what happens is that, you know, banks are in a really tough time. They have um, increased regulation they need to deal with. They've all got core systems rewrites, and yet they've got customers now used to apps updating on their mobile phone every month. So they want the latest, latest, latest. And uh, so what we find is there's normally in each market one or two banks where the timing works out and they'll be our pathfinder bank that we can work with and we'll start establishing uh, some new services. And typically in the early days, these are becoming services that tend to be common across the market. But getting that first or second bank moving means that everybody, you know, it's a tide that raises all boats and we see those as um, some common services. What's super exciting is when you start working with banks on things that they specialise in, whether it be franchises or international trade, there'll be some things that we can do. And um, as long as we're providing value for banks, and we've done some great surveys where we are increasing ARPU for their customers and uh, building more um, intimacy with their customers, then we can continue to do that. In the long term, it's going to be fascinating because there's so much choice and this globalization is really interesting, especially as things are consolidating on the really big you know, cloud platforms now with it's not just about having great transactional data, it's all of the um, machine learning and AI and big data services which are now inside these platforms. And um, you know, you're seeing that with you know, new trading banks, whole, completely new platforms, rapidly getting banking licenses, but so much innovation that's driving. But it still takes five years to build a significant base. So yeah, it's an interesting market. What about the kind of non-banking integrations, the expensifies and the you know the receipt banks of the world. Where have you found there being the most need, or all the bits where you thought actually we're not going to build that because we think that there's a viable market out there? Yeah, so we see lots of opportunities for people building business software. So if you're at a platform level, you know you're talking for for us, we've raised in pounds probably three or four hundred million pounds and put twice that to work. So it's a massive investment. But there are lots of good companies with 50 to 100 staff who can build products that connect into that. And uh, so we're seeing some awesome companies like 
uh, receipt bank. So they're one of our top add-ons. So that whole document automation process and this rewiring of the global economy by getting data flowing uh, is absolutely hot at, at the moment. We've got so much to do, especially because we're operating across 180 countries now. So we're really sticking to our knitting in terms of core accounting system and then starting to move from the back office of the three or four people inside a 50-person company to the employees of small business. And we've got plenty of stuff to do there as well as the accountant tools. But the great thing is, you know, we have these amazing partnerships where small businesses now can assemble you know, take a chocolate out of every box and have the best of breed tools that can automate almost all of their workflows. I, I really see, though, um, the industry moving away from horizontal components because the platform tends to pull those in because it can always do it cheaper into people assembling really interesting vertical applications where uh, you'll really automate the whole supply chain. You'll have product catalogs and all those sort of things, you know, flying into a small business owner. So, for example, a winery will have, you know, VAT management systems and a whole lot of e-commerce things for people that sell wine and and uh, but they don't have to go and build the accounting engine or the payments engine. All those are now commodity they can plug into. Wow. So you're here for ZeroCon, a big conference happening in London at the moment. Uh, what are the, the new initiatives or the new things that you're, will, people will hear about uh, at that, that conference? Yeah, so some great new things. We've got you know, some good banking partners. So we're working now with um, you know, pretty much all of the UK banks and they're now moving into the next generation of digital feeds. Uh, we're launching uh, Zero Expenses, so that allows small business owners to and, and their staff to do reimbursements, and that's a nice um, banking integration point. You know, we really love the um, categorization at point of sale that's been driven up in the UK and the ability to fire expenses through a banking front end into accounting is pretty exciting. We're uh, launching our lifelong learning program. So um, we've really cracked now how students can, you know, learn Zero and all of the other uh, products connected uh, to Zero. And that's really important because retraining is really key at the moment. So people can pick up new skills in the middle of their career. Uh, zero projects, so um, you know, time and cost for professional services. You know, probably most uh, UK businesses are services businesses, so that's a really big one. And um, one of our other really big uh, announcements is the Zero HQ Open Practice Platform, where we've worked with um, kind of our best of breed accounting partners and giving accountants a curated experience for all the things they need to run their practice. And we've got a great new product in there called Boma which um, allows us to be the virtual marketing department for accounting practices so we can create amazing content, working with our banking partners, put that content out there through the accountants channel and they can then promote that to their customers and to you know, other potential customers on Facebook, Instagram and all those things. So the market's moving so fast. Wow, sounds super exciting. Maybe I could finish off with a few questions that we tend to ask all our guests just to help young entrepreneurs out there, I guess, who are really trying to make their way. What's your number one productivity tip? Uh, try to exercise every day uh, for a few reasons. Your brain needs time for unconscious thought. So if I've got a, got a problem, you know, by the time I'm coming down the hill after a ride, it's usually sort of solved. And I think it's also good for stress management. You know, if, you're, if your body's made up of a, of a bunch of chemicals, flushing them out by doing some exercise must be good. So that's a, that's a really good one. And then um, I think a really important one is uh, a lot of entrepreneurship is building uh, connections, so being an active networker. So 
when I meet people, I'm, I'm thinking about how can I help them and just keep trying to pay it forward. It's amazing. You know, you'll meet somebody interesting and then two days later, you meet somebody that they should meet. So I'm always paying forward introductions. Don't expect anything back, but I've just got in the habit of always connecting people. Then you're, then you've um, been useful for people and that always comes back times 10. That's a great, great advice. Um, how do you motivate a team? Um, I've tried yelling and screaming. Beating hasn't been so successful. Um, but I, I think um, you've got to really uh, paint the vision. And I think entrepreneurs have to be good storytellers. And if you can paint the really big, big picture, what's the mission? And then if people um, buy into it and feel like they've contributed to it, um, and then if they understand that, that empowers them to make uh, decisions every day. So you want to get to a, a point where you trust your people everyone understands where we're trying to get to and then that allows them to make decisions and move forward and that gets harder we're about 1800 people now so I spent a lot of time repeating the vision uh, getting feedback you know if I hear a good idea in the in the from the team that's even better um, you know being demonstrably wrong and saying here's a better idea and acknowledging people so they feel that they can contribute and it becomes theirs as well. And so how have you uh, dealt with that managing at scale? You know, the, it's very different from running, a, I guess, a small enterprise to something with 1,800 people where you don't know everyone. Is, is that different? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had, you know, four people in a small apartment. I didn't know I could manage 1,800 people. So I actually probably didn't um, because we did an IPO very early on. I was always working on the business and I'm always out there networking, trying to find talent. So I'm always hiring great people and uh, making sure we have those team dynamics between all of our leaders and our leaders are coaches that are bringing people through. So I don't actually do much every day. I think if you're working on the business, not in the business, your head's up making sure you're executing strategy and you're putting in place the people that actually run and operate the business. And um, I think that's the benefit of having real capital is that you don't have to be the operator as well. You can actually um, work on the business and drive it forward. That's great. Um so what's the best career advice you've ever received? I don't know if I received this advice, but um, like I turned 50 recently and I'm still having fun. So I think, you're tw you know, you don't have to be in a big hurry to do this stuff. And, you know, we've got a lot of people who work for us in their 50s and 60s that are also having a really good time. And I started zero when I was 40. So there's no huge hurry to do this. I think your 20s are about building your base experience, trying a few things out and build that deep, deep skills. Um, your 30s, you know, you start to really network and, and start to drive your leadership skills um, sort of come through. And then in, you know, in your 40s, you can really leverage all of that. So thinking of entrepreneurship as a series of baby steps, you always hear the stories of, you know, the, the, the person that smacked it out of the park in their 20s, but actually a far more repeatable process is doing a number of smaller deals and with each um, thing you get more experience more of your own money so you can have more of it and you usually get better ideas as well as you gain more experience so I think um, enjoy the journey because it's uh, so much fun and if you're enjoying it it never feels like work. Well Rod thanks for for coming and talking to Fintech Insider interviews I definitely look forward to seeing you at ZeroCon and uh, working with Zero on a few special podcast episodes that'll come up soon. So thanks again for, for coming to talk to us. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast, review us on iTunes. We love reading those reviews. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook and or Twitter. That's all for now. See you next week.